Hey, everybody. This is Mark Levine from the NYC Real Estate Podcast. Uh, great to see everybody back. This is episode 44 of the NYC Real Estate Podcast. If you want to get in touch with us, you can email the show at nycrealestatepodcast at gmail.com. Again, that's nycrealestatepodcast at gmail.com. I'm one of the owners of a company called EBMG, and we manage um, co-op, condo, rental, mixed-use commercial buildings in the New York City area. And I'm uh, thrilled to have on today's guest, Stephen Cohen from Burmac Champion and Luine. Hey, Steve. How are you doing? Good to I'm be here. I'm good. Thanks for coming on. So you are an insurance broker um, and we've actually had some um, contact over the last few weeks, especially on a, a policy that's renewing. So it's been uh, super help, super helpful for me to talk a lot of things through with you um, with regards to that one thing. And we did have a chat last week that I thought would be relevant for us to discuss on the podcast. But before we get into um, what we wanted to speak about, which is specifically Labor Law 240, um, why don't you give us a background on uh, your career, how you got to where you are, anything else that you want to let us know about you? Sure. Um, so um, I'm Steve Cohen. I have been in the insurance business since March of 1990, which I guess dates me. <laughs> um, Only 31 years. That's not so bad. Yeah. Yeah. It's been a while. Uh, uh, yeah. Just like everyone else in the insurance business, um, we kind of fall into this this business. It's not something we go to college for, but uh, it turns out to be a fantastic business. And uh, um, luckily, uh, I had a family member in the business and uh, joined the Burmac Champion of the Wine in 1990 and have uh, worked my way through the each of the jobs that we all do and am now vice president and you know, we're a small company. We do a lot of habitational real estate and our uh, focus is kind of on how to protect our customers from having to accept claims that they shouldn't have to accept, which the intro to Labor Law 240 is the prime example of this type of thing. All right, great. So why don't we just start right into it? Why, why don't you give us a little bit of a primer of Labor Law 240 and how it may affect um, property owners, property managers, anything else that you could give us context on, and then we can kind of drill down further within that. Sure. Um, I'm going to read something, so it's, it just makes it a little cleaner. Uh, quite simply, Labor Law 240 makes contractors and construction companies liable for injuries and accidents involving falls from a ladder, ladders, heights, and scaffolds. However, the building owner is also in there, and most likely or more often than not, the building owner is the one who's ultimately responsible. Right. Um, there is no comparative liability that considers how a worker might have contributed to an accident, ultimately meaning you could have had a two-drink lunch, came back to work, fell off a, a ladder or a scaffolding, and the owner slash owner and or contractor would be responsible for paying a claim without even asking without even being able to ask what caused the claim or if you drank at lunch, those types of things. Right. Um, the so company puts a, running it, the job. It puts a tremendous ahead. burden on the ownership and the managing agents to ensure that everything is buttoned up and it's as safe as possible. But as you noted before, you could have extenuating circumstances where somebody will, in your example, go out to lunch, have a few drinks and then fall off the ladder. And then, then what now? Yeah. What now is the owner of the company 
would be responsible to pay the pain and suffering for that injured contractor's employee. Um, an employee generally, you know, can't sue their um, their employer uh, because workers' compensation, which is that that workers' compensation is the sole remedy for a worker to collect from their employer. Um, so right. what you can get from workers' comp is um, medical benefits and lost wages up to the state maximum. So that leaves pain and suffering. Um, the person who walks into a building and slips and falls on a wet floor, they're able to go after the building owner for negligence. So this gives this employee of the contractor working at your building a way to collect for pain and suffering in, in addition to their lost wages and medical expenses, which will get paid for by workers' compensation. Right. So it's another layer of accountability. It goes above. It's almost like, I mean, I would, I would liken it as a non-insurance person to what your umbrella coverage is for. You know, it's like that excess coverage over and above. And I guess this is the over and above lawsuit that could come out of the pockets of the building that are above and beyond the workman's comp coverage. Um, yeah. So how do we, as um, owners, operators, where we have vendors in the building, so there's a few layers, I guess, that are questions for me, because from my experience in dealing with um, management, we would have, let's say I'm managing a co-op, we would have one set of vendors that's there on behalf of the co-op. In this instance, let's say it's a boiler company doing a repair on the boiler, but if there is a shareholder doing a renovation and that renovation has been approved, then that technically um, the, the co-op owns the shares of the unit. It's the shareholder that's got the vendor. But at the end of the day, the owner of the property is the corporation. So how do we ensure that um, both were covered from a liability standpoint on the co-op side, or it could be a condo too. I mean, I'm just throwing out a co-op as an example. And then when we're doing the alterations inside the apartments where it's on the shareholder onus to properly file um, the application and get it approved, like where's the protection for the building coming from in that scenario? Since it's there's like a third party, um, it's not as cut and dry as it would be if we just hired somebody to come in for the common area and they got hurt. Yeah, it's um, it, it becomes quite difficult. Um I guess the onus is, uh, let's start, I guess, by saying the contractor is hired by the owner slash property manager to do work for the building. That's the easiest um, way to look at this to start, and then we'll get to the unit owners. Um, so what has transpired in the New York contractor marketplace since Labor Law 240 has kind of went into full force, uh, the plaintiffs, uh, plaintiff attorneys are chomping at the bit for these claims because of the strict liability nature of any claim. What owners uh, or property managers generally normally had done prior was, you know, you'd be an additional insured on the contractor's policy. Um, you may have a hold harmless agreement or you may not, but, you know, those are the two main main documents that started for years, we've been doing that. You know, yeah. Hey, you should have this hold harmless. You know, you, a hold harmless agreement is a contract in essence. So, you know, signed by both parties, it looks like a small, like one page contract. Great. So what the contractor's market did to, uh, to protect themselves from not paying these claims 
okay, I, I'm going to step back actually. The whole harmless agreement between a owner of a building and a contractor will say, you'll indemnify us and hold us harmless for any and all claims arising out of your work while at our premises. Okay. Yeah. So that's pretty simple. If, if there was no labor law 240, um, the injured employee would sue the building, the building would tender the claim to the contractor and the contractor's insurance would pay this, defend and then settle the claim. Labor law 240 comes in and says uh, it's strict liability, so there's no defense. You're going to be paying the claim. So the contractor's policies were paying out a lot. Contractors, insurers for small contractors in particular who could probably not afford a better policy, um, they started adding exclusions to their policies that say we are not going to pay any claim arising out of a claim to injuries to employees, subcontractors, employees of subcontractors. Therefore, that hold harmless agreement, and, and again, some contractors didn't even know this exclusion existed. You know, they right. just buy a policy. They're not savvy enough necessarily or, you know, didn't look deep enough to know that this exclusion existed. They signed the hold harmless agreement, so in theory they should pay this. However, since their policies have these exclusions, the onus has been falling back onto owners of the buildings and not the contractors who have assumed the responsibility and assumed the risk, um, and the owners, insurers have to pay these claims. Right. So, you know how you, the only way to get around this is to actually vet or review contractors' insurance policies prior to a contract signing. So I'm going to have, uh, let's, again, we're talking now, the owner hiring the contractor to do facade work, painting, anything that would be of a height. Um, what should happen now is in the bidding process, the owner of the building or property manager, if they're assuming this responsibility, should request along with, uh, you know, the additional insured certificate, the um, hold harmless agreement should also request full copies of policies. And that's so they can be reviewed to make sure there is no exclusionary language that's going to cost the owner um, in the long run. Now, I could see from that statement, just as operating in the world of this type of industry on the management side, it's hard if I'm imagining, let's say a company has 100 buildings. Like we manage um, on EBMG side, we, we have about 100. So that's 100 potential buildings plus 100 buildings where there's potential alterations going on that have to be approved. And I, I know we've spoken about this um, prior, but it's it's a hard ask as an industry to have a company allocate a resource of per, a person and time and then because of that money into reviewing that um, insurance policy. And we also don't have the wherewithal that you do because you are a licensed and insured broker, um, which I'm not. One of my partners is actually. But sure, let's say I don't have somebody like that that's on staff or as part of my partnership that's an insurance, you know, broker and licensed to look at these things and make opinion and give opinions on it. But do do you see that the future would be us going to you? where you're servicing that building and saying, hey, 
um, can you look at this policy? Can you let me know if this is applicable and if it's appropriate for the work that's going to be done? And is this coverage going to protect us in the way that we need it? Uh, yeah, I think that's the way we're going in the short run. Um, I think the insurance brokers, once making a uh, property management company aware of the uh, potential uh, um, dangers of, of this issue, I think at the end of the day, we're going to be reviewing policies. I mean, I could look at a list of forms on any one policy and have a fair idea of the quality of insurance from it. I don't need to necessarily look at language. The um, Most policies have a list of endorsements that are usually at the beginning, sometimes at the end, but it'll just say, you know, um, exclusion to injury to employees. As soon as I see that, I know it's not the contractor you want. Uh, right. But again, you know, th that's why this law is so uh, hurtful. It's really hurting the small contractor who can't afford to buy the better policy. You know, they can, they're an artisan contractor, a plumber, perhaps a small, you know, painter, renovator. Um, these policies are starting to get uh, quite expensive when they include coverage for um, right. these injuries. So, um I have one carrier and one carrier only that makes it a kind of the responsibility of the building owner or property manager to send in these policies for review. Uh, I'm not going to mention names, but uh, yeah. uh, this company has been in the forefront of other items as well um, when it comes to how to best protect the customers. Yeah. What I see going in the future, future, you know, maybe five years is the... Um, policies uh, policies for building insurance to include um, endorsements excluding any coverage to the building if they don't follow certain protocols of review mm -hmm. um, and that's gonna that will be when you know everybody says okay I'm gonna do this regardless of the extra cost or effort we have to put in yeah it's a little bit of a squeeze play because I know that on the umbrella coverage side of things it's gone exorbitantly up. We used to get $100 million of umbrella coverage that because of all of the claims that have gone on in the past years, um, the insurance companies, and you could correct me again if I'm wrong, but from what I've seen just from my own clients is that the insurance policies, um, we're not getting $100 million anymore. We're starting at options of 25 and maybe we'll go up to 90, but the cost for hundred million was lower than the cost for 30 million now because the market has just changed. The programs have just changed. So that's one aspect of the insurance that's been going up. I've, I'm sure you have the numbers too, but on my portfolio between like 10 and 15%, I'm seeing the insurance go up year over year. And I know that it's going up. So if we're putting off this um, umbrella coverage, which is going to be more for less. And then we're adding on another component of it, which is um, a, a hidden, not a hidden fee, but it's a cost that's now going to be the burden of the building where, okay, if we had a painting job that we expected to be 10,000, but that contractor, as you said before, may be too small to be able to afford an upgraded policy that would protect the building from what you need. Then you may need to jump to that twenty thousand dollar painter um, proposal because, God forbid, somebody gets hurt, um, you'll be in a lot more damage than the, the ten thousand dollar delta between the two, you know, proposals. So if you add that up on each individual line item of repairs and maintenance and different projects, 
if it's not carefully watched, I could see that growing out at scale where we're just um, increasing, 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 increasing costs. And I think we just have to, once the market is all the same and everybody's ad adapted to that type of coverage, I think it'll maybe be a little bit easier, but it's hard to tell a client, well, this guy is 10,000, you have somebody else that's 20, they're doing the same work, but their insurance coverage is better. It's hard to make that um, play with the client because short term, it's easier to look at than long term. And you're hoping that nobody gets hurt. But I've had staff members, I had a, them, I have a rule now, no, no superintendents are allowed on ladders under my watch because I just had you know, years ago, I had a super that broke his arm because he fell off a ladder and he wasn't, you know, he was on his job. He wasn't sick. He wasn't uh, drinking during lunch. You know, there was except he fell off the ladder and he's lucky that he only broke an arm and he's still working there and he's fine. You know, he recovered and it's it's dangerous. Um, so that's my only concern from a cost perspective is that we're going to see a lot of these things snowball over the next few years beyond everything else that we're planning for outside of the insurance. Yeah, um, you know, the, you, you mentioned the umbrella market. Um, I started in 1990, and in 1990, you didn't buy umbrella. There were no program umbrellas like that. that turned. Um, the middle 90s is when program umbrellas kind of came in place. Yeah. Um, when I started, it was uh, 1500 for the first thousand, and then a thousand for every million after that. So your five million umbrella would, at a minimum, cost you 5500. Right. Come to the middle '90s, that same, you know, um, you get a 50 million umbrella, and it would cost you then, even in the hundreds, you know, or low 1000s. Um, what happened in the last three years is carriers were getting hit in the umbrella side with these claims, these labor law 240 claims in New York, and they've either pulled out of New York altogether, or you know, kind of had stricter underwriting. Yeah. Um, which is why you saw the increases capacity, you know, demand is just as high and, and uh, supply is much lower, which is when, you know, costs go up. It's kind of basic economics. But um, here's the uh, the problem is exactly how you stated it. You know, this uh, this snowball effect of cost and concern um, for a property manager, it gets even worse because these claims are starting to hit the building owners. The building owners who had this type of claim then become a pariah in the kind of normal voluntary market, mm -hmm. have to go to an excess market, pay a lot more for insurance than they were, get less coverage than they had. And so what are these building owners who have property managers doing? They're coming after the property managers and saying, hey, you didn't do your due diligence and now we're paying. Right. So it's it's just this um, snowball effect of of. The, the, this one singular law mm -hmm. without comparative negligence uh, with comparative liability. Um, it just, it's hurting so many industries. So we covered just now for a building vendor, what the policy should say and where we should move on from potentially a vendor if they can't have the insurance policy. It gets a little harder when we're talking about when shareholders and unit owners want to do work inside their own units or now we're also playing i guess an insurance police at the same point where we used to as you said before we used to ask for a certificate of insurance we would ask to be put as an additionally insured i know that i have an umbrella coverage in there workman's comp auto um 
one of the things that I guess we're going to have to put into all of our certificate of insurance requirements is this um, language to show proof that they have coverage for this. And that is probably going to hurt the shareholders and unit owners out of their own pockets, because just like we're snowballing effect with all of these increased expenses for vendors on the co-op condo side, when it's a building, now it's going to hit individually because in due diligence and looking through the applications, if they don't have a, a contractor that's providing the proper insurance, we theoretically should not be allowing them to work in the building. And they're, they're going to have to go out to the market to see, um, just like we would, the best contractor with the right coverage. And that may explode their own costs as well when we're looking at increased costs with the Department of Buildings filings and permits and all that, which I understand is their responsibility because at the end of the day, they're bettering their apartment and they're doing work, increasing their value. And there's certain checks and balances that go into that. But this is just one more thing that uh, we as an agent and the building and the the occupants have to be aware of when they are submitting their insurance information for the contractor that this has to be specifically covered. Yeah. So my thinking is here, I imagine every proprietary lease makes what goes on in an apartment, the, uh, the apartment's responsibility. That's as a start. So I think you at least have a buffer. Um, the building would, mm-hmm. um, however, if you read the bylaws of condos and co-ops, they don't always make insurance a requirement for the, the unit owner. Correct. A lot of times they'll just in those bylaws state, you know, we recommend you get insurance. Well, that's a first mistake. Um, you are correct in everything, because even if you have that wording in your proprietary lease that says you are responsible for, you know, anything that goes on in your your unit, including claims um, you're going to defend and hold the building harmless you can say anything you want if they don't have insurance one the option is is to foreclose or somehow get money from their unit which just doesn't seem to happen i don't think courts are going to allow that Um, or two most personal insurance policies don't carry much liability you know a responsible person may have 250 you know a 250,000 personal liability limit and maybe a million dollar umbrella but that you know worker in the corner who fell from the you know putting up new sheetrock on the ceiling and you know smashed his head and may have had you know a permanent disability yeah that million 250 is going to go quickly and the building is then held you know next yeah that being said, it's very, very difficult. It would be, you'd need a couple few employees as a property manager or a building owner just to follow these things, you know, to follow the insurance of a unit owner. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's a mess. It's a, a quagmire, as they say. And uh, I don't know how it's going to get uh, uh, better unless this law is overturned in New York. And you know what? I read a lot of uh, insurance publications at New York insurance publications, and never do I see opposition to this law. Yeah. They're not, um, you know, uh, professional insurance agents, um, independent insurance agents of New York, uh, two of the largest organizations in New York. They don't regularly talk about this. And to me, this is the single, especially downstate in, uh, you know, the, the boroughs, this is the number one issue in, in insurance today. It really is. 
well, hopefully this conversation will at least get to some years where it will make sense um, to talk about it and to bring it up. Um, short of the insurance coverage, I don't, I, I guess we're looking at just really dialing into the details now, seeing what the insurance coverage is, um, what happens in the case of uh, somebody getting hurt. And that's on a case-by-case basis with all of these applications and all of these vendors. So it is going to be a task. And we have hundreds of vendors throughout our system, if not more than a thousand. I mean, we're, we're talking about a lot of vendors for a lot of different things. And anybody that steps foot onto the uh, premises of the building should technically have insurance where they're covering you if they're acting in a business capacity. So it is overwhelming just to think about it. Um, But I'm glad you brought it to our attention. Is there anything else that we should know about this or anything else that circles this that would be um, top of mind for everybody listening and for myself as well? Well, I think as a property manager and uh, if you own multiple buildings, obviously, like you said, it's very difficult because you have so many vendors. But if a company is dealing with the same, let's say, eight contractors, one plumbing, one, you know, a general list of contractors used predominantly, it's always a good idea to have those policies reviewed at any time um, because those are the people coming in and out of many buildings. Yeah, yeah. The other kind of pitfall is uh, the written contract pitfall, which is contractor's insurance. And this is a little separate, but, you know, falls under the same thing. A lot of uh, contractor's policies give what's called blanket additional insured coverage to anybody they do business with, which is great. You know, you think as a property manager or a building owner, you, you're given automatic additional insured status. Yeah. However, those con- those policies almost always say, with a written contract requesting for the coverage. So if you're using a, um, you know, just the, an invoice or something from the vendor, assuming you're an additional insured automatically because the certificate you got said you're an automatic additional insured and very few people read those either. And they say with a written contract, sometimes they don't say it, but their policies almost always say it. So that claim comes in, let's say, you know, you drive, you're a contractor or a brick falls from the side of the building you're working on, hurts somebody, that additional insured status is only relevant if there was a contract in place. So, you know, there's a, a, another pitfall to look out for as a building owner to uh, make sure you have some type of written contract, whether it be a short form hold harmless agreement or a full AIA contract, something that will give you that status automatically. Um, yeah, and the- that's... Uh, and the contracts, as you said, are now something that's bringing, you're bringing that to light with how it's covered with the additional and blanket and additional insured. So I guess even when we're doing, um, using the boiler again as an example or an elevator repair and they send over a proposal, we literally just sign it. That's not best practice. According to what you're saying, we need a contract in place that's going to specifically ask them to, to secure um, their insurance and to provide us with proof of blanket uh, additional insured, right? So that's going to or play a also. contract, right. So similar, but that same scenario, you want something saying, me, the building should be additional insured. You are saying we will be. Like, again, a hold harmless agreement is a, yeah. a perfect example. My office has single page hold harmless agreements that, you know, you can fill in the contractor's name, building name, 
uh, they both sign it, it becomes a contract. Right. You know, it doesn't matter that it was, um, you know, it's 30 pages or one page, as long as there's something giving you, you know, a signed approval for work being done, other than a, a sales invoice or, you know, yeah. quote. So how can people get in touch with you once they're hearing this? And I'm going to put this all also so you know, I'm going to put this in um, the description of the video of the podcast. And when I share it, it'll all be there as well. Um, if you want to give out your telephone number, if you want to give out your email address, again, I'm going to put it in the description. If you go to the description, you'll be able to click on it. Sure. Uh, my office number is uh, 212-239-1140. Our office is located on 34th Street between 7th and 8th Avenue. Uh, my direct email is Stephen, S-T-E-V-E-N, at bclus.com. That's like okay. Burmac champion in the wine United States. Awesome. Uh, bclus.com. And well, I'd be I... happy to even just, you know, you don't have to be a customer for me to talk to you about this. So, you know, again, yeah, if you have questions, you could certainly go on and do a Google search of labor law 240 and become an expert in no time. <laughs> uh, we've been forced to become experts on it. I think I told you this uh, when we spoke about this last week, you know, I have a, a son who was home from college um, due to COVID and I was working from home and he could actually recite a good portion of labor law 240 just <laughs> hearing me speak about it so often because it's just, it's just the, the, the issue of the day. Yeah. He got that through osmosis. That's the best way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, good. Well, I appreciate it. And hopefully we'll have a lot more insurance topics that we could work on together for the podcast. Hopefully we'll have a lot more business to deal with on uh, our real day jobs when, <laughs> once we get off of here. And, you know, but um, for everybody listening, uh, either uh, in your car or at home, if you would be so kind to subscribe, if you haven't subscribed already and share it with somebody that you may find uh, is interested in this. I always say, like, if you can't fall asleep, put on my podcast and you'll be out in a minute. Uh, you really got to like, really, you got this is for, you know, if you're into this, you're into this. And if you're not, I'm sorry, uh, you, you can just take yeah. a nap while it's on. But um, hopefully we're providing enough interesting information and timely information where everybody can learn something and take it with them. And uh, so far it's been so good. But again, if you want to email the show, it's NYC real estate podcast at gmail.com. Again, that's NYC real estate podcast at gmail.com. Just like Steve gave uh, his uh, phone number. Mine is 212-335-2723 extension 201. Again, that's 212-335-2723 extension 201. And uh, thanks, Steve. Hopefully we'll have you on again. Oh, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Uh, no problem. I'll talk to you soon. Have a good day. All right. Stay well.